and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about The Muppet Christmas Carol. Merry Christmas, everyone! It's our first official Christmas movie, sort of, except we did Nightmare Before Christmas already. <laughs> Good job. Which but is a Christmas is, movie. This is our one really Christmas Christmas movie that we're doing this year. So, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Um, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie, Jen? The Muppet Christmas Carol is a 1992 movie uh, adapted from the Charles Dickens novel and starring the Muppets, uh, as well as uh, Michael Caine as Scrooge. The Muppets, should I say who the actors of the Muppets are? Sure. They are who they always are, but Frank Oz, Steve uh, Whitmore, who took over after Jim Henson died, and it would help if I had Dave Goltz. Which is who is not the same person as the guy from the Foo Fighters. And Nirvana. I refuse to dignify that. I always kind of imagine Gonzo (laughs) being voiced by the Dave Goltz. Anyway, Dave Dave Goltz, Steve Whitmore, and Frank Oz are like, you know, the Muppet performers. They're not anymore, really, but they were back then. So, why don't you tell us, do you really need to tell I mean, us, I mean, the story of the Christmas Carol is Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by three ghosts, the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas yet to come, not future. Not future. And he learns to love Christmas. I mean, that is the story. The Muppet Christmas Carol adds a little bit in that you have Gonzo uh, narrating as Charles Dickens within the movie. You have the addition of a second Marley, Robert Marley, because it's Statler and Waldorf playing them. And, I mean... There's not very much, in terms of the story that this movie is, it does not deviate hardly at all from the Charles Dickens novella that it is based on. It's just slightly Muppetified. Slightly Muppetified. So if you don't know what A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is, go read it. Yeah. It's super short. Like, it's not even that long. Go read it. We have more than once read it in an evening, in an afternoon, as part of a Christmas celebration, because that's the kind of nerds we are. Invited friends over actually was really awesome, and maybe we can do it again sometime? Probably not this year. We've done it twice, but yeah, not this year. Invited a bunch of friends over and then just, like, read through A Christmas Carol aloud. Mm -hmm. It was really great. We also, like, ate goose and drank smoked bishop and had, like, delicious Christmas, Victorian Christmas feasty things. So, let's start, uh, as we occasionally do, with a deviation from our standard three-part approach to movies here on Way Too Seriously, and Mm -hmm. let's start by talking a bit about our personal experience and background and nostalgia and where you're coming into this. Uh, I was going to say, we have talked about Muppets before on Muppets Mm -hmm. from Space. Go listen to that episode and hear all our thoughts about Muppets. We'll say again, we like the Muppets, both of us. Yep. Um, I want to, before we talk about this movie, of of which I have thoughts, just like say a word about Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. And like, do you have feelings about uh, this novella and this story outside of the movie? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean... A Christmas Carol, there's a reason why it just keeps getting adapted. Why there's like 10 different, 20 different movie versions. Why every... 20, hundreds, 200 versions. I don't know if it's actual movies. there, And then there's like every sitcom, every TV show does a version of it for their Christmas special. Like it's just the standard Christmas thing is a person who doesn't like Christmas gets visited by ghosts or gets somehow changed overnight and suddenly likes Christmas. And so, like... Did it, you see that episode of Quantum Leap where uh, <laughs> he scrooges the guy? <laughs> Sorry, Kara. I Of course I have. I've seen every episode of Quantum Leap. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to pretend that I hadn't, but I totally have. I've seen all of them. Like, there's... Yeah, every every sitcom or whatever I can think of and TV show I can think of has one of these. Regardless... Because of all that, 
A Christmas Carol is so just ingrained in pop culture and ingrained in my brain that I'm not even sure when I first read it, but I've read it several times and I'm always amazed at how it stands up, how it, how funny it is, how accessible it is, how it's not like, you know, this stodgy, classic, boring <laughs> book. Yep. I mean, our daughter's reading War and Peace, like talk about a boring <laughs> book. Yeah, War and, War and Peace is stodgy. <laughs> and yeah, some humor. Yeah. And, but Christmas Carol is just very, yeah, accessible and fun. And I love it a lot. There's a lot about it that like is witty and then also uh, touching and beautiful. And I love Christmas Carol and I especially love this adaptation of Christmas Carol. Yeah, me too. Can you say a little bit about your personal history or? Yeah, I mean, similar kind of things. I'm, uh... I'm into Dickens. I'm into the Christmas Carol specifically. Like, uh, I think that Christmas Carol is my favorite Dickens. Mm -hmm. And that's not, I mean, and I've read other Dickens. (laughs) It's not like the only entry on a short list. Um, It has parts that rarely make it into movie versions Mm -hmm. that, uh, for good reason, uh, like the whole part where the ghost of Christmas present has, uh, hunger and had famine and want underneath his robes like that's not necessary it's part of the political commentary that is a christmas carol but i like a lot the the political commentary that is a christmas carol that it's and we'll get into that in the way too seriously i think one of the things i like about it as a book is like like you said the humor the dickens of course uh can turn a phrase, Mm -hmm. but also it it really is like gets mocked for sentimentality and it is certainly sentimental, but it also is like tiny Tim is sentimental. (laughs) It also is, has moments of real genuinely moving Mm -hmm. uh, emotion and then packed with this, a social and political perspective that I can really get behind, although I have some critiques of it also, but I still can really get behind it that like help the poor. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> um, be kind and generous. Like maybe it's easy to get behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like a Christmas Carol quite a lot. It's a favorite, a personal favorite in not just in this Muppet version. Mm-hmm. Having said that, Jan, what's the best adaptation of Dickens' Christmas Carol? It's this one, Paul. Really? <laughs> I truly believe, and I've seen a lot of adaptations, that, but I truly believe that this Muppet Christmas Carol is actually the best adaptation of Dickens' novel. There are a lot out there, but I don't know. There's something about it. It catches the humor. It catches the... A lot of things, and like, despite having Muppets in it, it is so true to the novel. And true and, to the spirit of the, the novel. spirit of the novel. I mean, the... Plus, I mean, it's also a musical, and I love musicals. It's got yes. some great songs, some songs that are part of my Christmas tradition every year. We watch this movie every year. We probably will watch it more than once this year. <laughs> Have you seen, what's the Alistair Sim, the sepia one? Yes. Yeah, that's I've the seen, other big classic That's one. the big classic one. I've seen the Alistair Sim, Sim one. I've seen, of course, Mickey's Christmas Carol. About the Alistair Sim one, like, this is the best adaptation of Christmas Carol. I don't know that I've ever watched the Alistair Sim one all the way through. Hmm. Uh, is this one really better than that one? That one's way way old. Yeah, it's the trouble of I sometimes don't like things because they're old, which is a fault. Sorry. Yeah. I think the Mickey's Christmas Carol is also pretty good. Yeah. It's not as good, nearly as good as this one, mm-hmm. but it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Jen. Paul. What's the worst adaptation of A Christmas Carol <laughs> ever? That I've seen was that one with Jim Carrey that came out a few years ago that Disney made that's like the motion capture oh. where... Much like Polar Express, our <laughs> most hated movie, don't add us. It's a horrible motion capture where everyone is Jim Carrey. For some for reason. For some reason. Why do they do this? And I don't understand. It's just like everyone is Tom Hanks in the 
Polar Express. We'll have to look Why? into. Is it the same director? Is it Robert Zemeckis again? Because it, I think it, it is, is stupid, unnecessary. One actor playing all the parts, and it's also like tacked on, unnecessary, contrived uh, tension and chase like, scenes, chase scenes and, yeah. for no reason. Where he like shrinks and thinks he's gonna get run down by a carriage and like oh yeah yeah it's garbage. It's, it's and it and does way way too scary. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the a Christmas Carol is a ghost story and it does have scariness, but that particular one just, I don't know, it's, the scariness is, is weird and wrong and not in the right places, is, yeah. is my opinion. I do not like that version. No, me neither. I don't know if that's the worst, you know, because there's so many that I can't, I don't, haven't seen them all, but the worst that I've seen is that one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. So, um, so, we watch... Muppet Christmas Carol every year. Every year. We watch it with our kids every year. We've watched it every year before our kids came along. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going way out of order again. Oh, so out of order. We're, let's, when we get to where we normally would, let's just skip the how did you enjoy this movie because we're putting that right up front. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add at this point in terms of your experience with this movie, your enjoyment of it on a kind of personal, nostalgic tradition level i get something out of it every time there's i feel like i notice new things i i remember the day i noticed that the store was called statler and waldorf and that's a neat little easter egg in the background i i've had a long-standing debate with my friends about when beaker leaves scrooge's office and holds up his finger goes whether that's his middle finger and he's getting slipping the bird to Scrooge. We've paused that. We've like slow motioned that scene. No. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I can't even remember what friends that were that debated that with. Were you there? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I like by the way that you're like that you know the moment when Beaker has his line, me, 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 me. <laughs> oh, that part. <laughs> It's different kinds of me me me's, okay? See, anyway, me, 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 me. if you if you've listened to if you've listened to our Muppets from Space, you'll know how much I adore Beaker. Oh, and that that is a lot. We need we're getting so off track. Yeah. So let's talk as objectively as we can, and in terms of like the craft mm-hmm. of movie making, how good a job is everyone on this movie doing? I feel like Michael Caine as Scrooge is doing a great job because he, when he's like evil, grumpy Scrooge, he is super grumpy. He is shouting and angry and you believe that he's like cold and cold hearted and not. And then when he has the change and it happens gradually yeah, really well. And when he, ha- when he, at the end, when he's so joyful and he's, it's Christmas day and he's giving out these things, you really feel it. And he does a great, yeah, he's a great Scrooge. Yeah, and I think part of what makes this movie is having, you know, one of the, it's a live action Scrooge amongst the Muppets and he sells it really well. He really does. He, he does a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. I know this is um, maybe retreading stuff or saying the obvious, but like the puppetry mm-hmm. in this Muppet movie is so good mm-hmm. and like in every Muppet movie they tend to have a few moments of like kind of showing off mm-hmm. but like for example when Kermit goes skating mm. and you'd, you'd be like they just you know blue green screened out the hand but no they don't do that on Muppet movies uh, so how do they make Kermit skate Um, I don't know you don't know. But, like, probably with marionette. a marionette. Yeah, it's, it's right? marionette. And, like, other moments when... There's there's the moment when uh, Rizzo is standing at the bottom of a barrel looking up and he taps his, his foot, foot impatiently and, like, that's really great. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of technical moments of doing impressive things with the puppetry. But then there's also just, like, just because they do it well so often doesn't mean we shouldn't pay attention to how well these performers emote with puppets. Mm-hmm. And I think of so many moments, but one that really stands out is a moment when 
Rizzo does something to annoy Gonzo, and Gonzo glares at him, and then Rizzo kisses him on the tip of the nose. Mm-hmm. And it's just this, like, tiny little <laughs> moment of hilarious adorableness, and it would not work if you didn't have puppeteers making these both of these characters emote, you know, completely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's also, like, they don't blink... They're they're solid puppets. Like it's amazing how much they can emote. Yeah. Without, uh, yeah, without blinking, without having like facial features in the same way. You know, they don't smile, they don't frown, but somehow they do. Just with that hand motion is incredible. There's also um, the sheer number of Muppets yes. in this movie. Is I think maybe aside from the most recent Muppet movies. There's huge crowds and crowds of people and Muppets interacting together. And that's really difficult to do because the people who are performing the Muppets have to be hidden the entire time. So they're like underneath and there's people walking around on the top. And like, it's so well done. Yeah. It's a feat to have to do that. The sets that they must have built and the, and the forced perspective, you get these moments. There's one moment where Michael Caine uh, is going around saying hey, Merry Christmas to everyone, and he steps forward and pats Gonzo and Rizzo like on the head to wish them Merry Christmas, and suddenly for a second you get an idea of the scale mm-hmm. that Gonzo is as big as a hand. Yeah. But the, you, I mean, this isn't technically impressive, but like he's always right up close to the camera, and you, you don't feel don't like he's feel really like tiny. He's small. Yeah. You feel like he's person sized, and they are very good at keeping all the perspective so that you can easily forget how small the Muppets are. Mm-hmm. And then the other, like, forced perspective, the moment where the ghost of Christmas present is huge in the room. Mm-hmm. And then he shrinks down to be Michael Caine-sized. And, like, they did that just with cam- with a camera. It's camera work, yeah. Camera work. There's no CGI involved. Yeah. The CGI that there is in this movie is not CG, but the animated, like twirling screen at one point and sparkles over the ghost of Christmas present at one point are pretty bad. Yeah. And like stick with the practical effects that are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I love it both on a like. Yeah. I feel like um, this movie was the first one that was done after Jim Henson died, mm-hmm. done in tribute to him and by Brian Henson. And I feel like, there's so much heart in it because yeah. this man, this mentor, this person who was such a giant to who made all these Muppets who is is gone. And so this movie is the tribute to him. This movie is let's do as amazing job as we can to pay tribute to Jim Henson. Yeah. And so despite it being post Jim Henson, it is the best Muppet movie, in my opinion, because of that. Because, because they're everyone is uh Everyone is really doing, you know, outstanding work. Mm-hmm. Because it's personal. Because it's personal. Exactly. It's beautiful. Should we get into the way too seriously? We're starting to get serious. Let's get a little into the way too seriously. Let's get into the way too seriously. Where do you want to start? I want to start with poverty. Yes. Because, Go. I mean, if we're going to get into the way too seriously of this... The seriousness is good. I'm, I'm spoiling the end of this episode. They, despite this being a movie for children, a movie with Muppets, with puppets, with songs and dances and joy and silliness, Dickens was writing a commentary in almost all of his books about poverty. And the Muppets do not shy away from that. And I think of, there's a specific moment where, uh, Kermit, I mean, Bob Cratchit, played by Kermit, played by Steve Whitmore, (laughs) (laughs) layers there. Anyway, where Bob Cratchit leaves his office where he's not being paid very much and has his joyous dance about there's only one more sleep till Christmas and he skates and he goes off home. And the second it pulls away from he's going off home, you see the little bunny Muppet shivering wrapped in newspaper and he had been the one earlier asking for money and you see that there are these layers to poverty there's bob cratchit who's the working poor 
he's not being paid enough for this work that he's doing. He's making as much as he can. He's supporting his family, but it's not enough and it's very little. And then you have the unemployed, the child. Yeah. Like that bunny is a child and it's the uh, homeless children of Victorian England who, uh, yeah, he's just shivering in newspaper and he doesn't get, it's one more day till Christmas. He's just, it's another night where I'm outside by myself. And then <laughs> it's the same one who's the boy at the end. Yeah. He's the one at the end who gets the sixpence for going to get the turkey from the window. And so he is directly, like, he's tr- mistreated horribly in the beginning of the movie. And But when Scrooge comes to joy and comes to realization of that he should give, the first person he gives to is this extremely impoverished boy, Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> who was singing Good King Wenceslas at the door. Oh. What's Good King Wenceslas about? Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feet of Stephen. Going round about, deep by crisp and even. Brightly shone the moon that night. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it's about giving to the poor. It's about you who... What's the line? The line, the punchline of Good King Wenceslas is, you who now will bless the poor shall you yourselves find, find blessing. blessing. So that Good King Wenceslas often gets used as, you know, a funny carol to sing because it's not particularly melodic. Mm-hmm. And so it, there's just some some humor to having someone be like, yes. you know, like in uh, Love Actually, that's the song that they're caroling singing because it's a... Yeah. But I think in this movie, it's actually an incredibly well-chosen carol for him to be singing. Mm-hmm. He's singing at the beginning about a good king. What makes good King Wenceslas good is that he goes out to bring food to the poor. Yep. And then I totally agree. The There are lots of amazingly wonderful moments in this movie, but one of the, in terms of the seriousness and the theme of the movie and the like pushing beyond taking it to a next level of the Muppets are doing are giving a social commentary. They're not just resting on Dickens commentary. Mm-hmm. That scene where that you just described. Yeah. And then it's the same boy at the end who gets the money and when Scrooge goes out, he blesses the poor and that's how he finds blessing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it just, and repeatedly all throughout, there are these, there are people who are poor, there are people, there's, I mean, Scrooge is very anti-poverty, like, the poor, it's their own fault, and I shouldn't help them, blah, 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 and they should go on, they should die then and decrease the surplus surplus population, and how much he changes by the end, and how... uh, He starts off being so... He starts off being so blaming of the poor for their own condition. Mm-hmm. And he ends just by realizing that he can help their condition. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it is, yeah. And it, and for just for a children's movie, it doesn't shy away at all from poverty of many different creatures. Like there's, you know, there's the whole beginning song where like he, charges folks a fortune for his dry and dusty for his dark and dusty houses and is it cold and dusty dark and drafty dark and drafty houses anyway it paints a very bleak picture of what it was like especially i mean what it can be like now but it very much what it was like in victorian england and we sometimes watch these movies that are like queen victoria and how wonderful she was and like yeah, but do you know what it was like for the people in the workhouses? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and like, while we're talking about taking this issue and and being thoughtful about it on many levels, like mm-hmm. that very first song, uh, even in that very first song, they touch on, I think, very astutely that like, when you are unkind to people, 
it isolates and alienates you. That's one mm-hmm. of the points of Scrooge as a character, that being miserly makes him unhappy. But it also touches, so in that song, like it paints you with indifference. There's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. Mm-hmm. It paints you with indifference. So it talks about how how, how that affects him personally, uh, how it hurts his feelings, his own feelings. He's, mm-hmm. he's working against his own happiness. But then it also, like, he charges folks a fortune for his dark and drafty houses. So he's in an opportunity, he's in a position institutionally to uh, profit off of the poor and does, and he's in a position institutionally to help and doesn't. And so it takes from a very personal, his feelings perspective, the step out to his institutional role. And then us poor folk live in misery. It's even worse for mouses is like a, a joke line, but it's also... Uh, through that bunny, that that it's even worse for mouses. Connects into like there are levels of poverty and who yeah. who is poor and who has a home and who doesn't and who will yeah. only eat if you give them cheese, and who will only eat if you pay them a decent wage. Yeah, and who will only eat, you know, absolutely, and all and and the levels to which like our kids watching this and the at the end the rats get. Buckets full of coal. And it's, you know, it's funny because, you know, you get coal in your stocking if you're bad. That's a whole thing. But for the, for the rats, of course, they want coal because it's going to keep them warm. And it's the basic necessities is all they're wanting. That's all he's providing. He's not getting them these lavish gifts. It's not like Christmas is today with like 10,000 toys under the Christmas tree. It's they get coal because they need coal. Yeah. Just to be warm, and it's uh, basic necessities are can just need are needed for joy. And it, I mean, and it treats you know be personally generous to your friends, but it also treats like pay your employees a working wage that they can live on that's fair that mm-hmm. gives them what they need. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like it's touching on both of those aspects. I have a question about the, the politics of poverty in this movie, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is this. Scrooge says at the beginning, my taxes pay for the poor houses and the workhouses. I know how to treat the poor. My taxes go to pay for the prisons and the poor houses. The homeless must go there. And... Uh, the charity people say some would rather die. And the message of the movie is he's going to give personally his money to help people personally. Mm-hmm. Is there an implication? I mean, in Victorian setting, it's true, but is there an implication in the movie of like, don't advocate for structural societal political change mm-hmm. because you just need to personally help the person who sit on the corner. You don't need to, make sure that your taxes go to support the poor. Hmm. I think that what it's saying is taxes aren't enough. Yeah. Is that there are institutional support that come out of your taxes, but being charitable is above and beyond that and needs to be above and beyond that. Um, In Victorian England, the workhouses, for anyone who doesn't know, Mm -hmm. The workhouses were horrible, and the ramifications of them are long-lasting and are still there. The workhouses were anyone who couldn't work, any children who were orphaned, who didn't have any family, anyone who uh, suffered with addiction, any like just the anyone who was in the dregs of society. They went, okay, we'll put them to work. Which was essentially prison, mm-hmm. including children in prison having to work. It was child labor that Dickens fought strongly against. And it was horrific conditions, horrific uh, sleeping conditions. You, you lived in the workhouse and you never left. Yeah. And when the workhouses closed, they closed suddenly. Uh, 
because they needed to, but they close suddenly with little structure to support the people who left them. And it is uh, horrific what the, what happened with those. And like, so like they would rather not go to the work, they'd rather die than go to the workhouses speaks to how horrific the workhouses were. And I think like in the book, Dickens is fairly, uh, I mean, he do, he assumes that his audience is familiar with it, sort of. But he also is informing his readers of what's wrong with workhouses. And yeah, he's like absolutely. actively, the, the the book, one of the things the book is doing is actively politically uh, um, advocating for an immediate political change to an immediate political situation. And Dickens was instrumental. Like he, he yeah. as a person, was instrumental in closing those workhouses. That is a, the legacy of, of Dickens is social, is that social change. But in the movie... In the movie. We don't necessarily understand what is meant by prisons and workhouses in the same way. I mean, it's important that they say prisons to kind of connect it. But still, Mm -hmm. I don't think that in the book this is the implication. But I wonder if in the movie there is a bit of an implication of, you know, politics doesn't matter. Uh, It's only about what you personally do with the people around you. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I can see where you're going with it. But I think it's this movie a, can only say so much, and it says good things. It's a bit of a disingenuous argument. I'm just trying to, like, push yeah. on it a little bit. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. Um, in terms of other things about this movie, beyond the poverty stance that it has, um, how do you feel about its treatment of women? Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Mm, yeah. Does it? Okay, if you count Frank Oz as three different women, okay, then Miss Piggy talks to her daughters. Right. She does. Mm, she talks to them possibly only about their father, though. And Tiny Tim. She talks to them about testing the chestnuts. Mm. I didn't really think of Miss Piggy as counting, but you're right, she does. Like, I was thinking human... Uh, oh, women, human women, there's... That it really doesn't. But, yeah. but that's an unfair, because there's not a lot of human characters at all. But there's Clara and there's Belle, and they certainly don't talk to each other, and yeah. they, neither of them barely do anything except smile. Well, here's... Just, can we digress a tiny bit to mm-hmm. the to Belle? Uh, there's a song that Belle sings, The Love Is Gone, and... The love is gone. The song is gone. The song is gone. Um, <laughs> the the song "The Love Is Gone" is was on the VHS when we were <laughs> used to watch it on our VHS. Yeah. Uh, I think the DVD just completely removes it. Maybe it's available as a deleted scene, but the the old t- the t- the version that was on TV, the version that was in theaters, and the VHS all had the "Love Is Gone" song. And in the, that scene, the DVD removes it because it is a very, it just drags. It's a beautiful, she's a beautiful singer and it's lovely. And I feel bad for the actress that her, you know, major part got cut, but that song just drags. It drags. It's like, it slows the movie to a grinding stop and it deserved to be removed. And it, and there are yeah. two slow, sentimental songs and yeah. one is hers and the other is Tiny Tim's and they keep Tiny Tim's and yeah. It's enough. It's like, enough. Tiny Tim's was the better of those two songs, marginally. Yeah. Certainly we, the movie doesn't need both of them. We used to fast forward <laughs> through that song. We did. Yeah. Watching it, we used to fast forward through it. So in terms of represent, like in terms of uh, roles for women, this movie is not doing great. No, not at all. In terms of female characters on the screen... This movie is not doing great. Nope. Like, Miss Piggy, we've talked about in Muppets from Space, and we Mm -hmm. can talk about again. Like, Miss Piggy is a very complex character. Not a lot of that complexity is on the screen in this movie. No. It's Miss Piggy playing (laughs) Emily Cratchit. And uh, and so she has moments where she kind of Miss Piggies it up. And like, "Mm," and hugs Kermit and stuff, but mostly she's just a stay at a, a wife at home with the kids. Yeah, she's not very a lot to she's her. 
quite flat. And then like there's uh his nephew's wife Clara, who's yeah. a non character. I mean she's She's beautiful and I mean, beautiful. She's charming and uh, she's adorable, funny frankly. and adorable. That's what I'm looking for. She's like, adorable. And her her small amount that she's on screen, she does really memorable. Well. Yeah. But that actress does it. great with a very, very small role. Because yeah. I she's really memorable despite being barely on screen. Mm-hmm. But like there's not a lot for her to do. And no. what there is for her to do is, ooh, let my husband do it because he's wonderful. Yeah, right? Totally. Um so there's like I don't know what more really to say mm. that the representation of women in this movie or or female pigs. Uh, They're basically all just to support their male counterparts. You have yeah. Emily Cratchit to support Bob Cratchit. You have Clara to support Fred. You have Belle to give uh, Scrooge a tragic backstory. Yeah. That's it. And that's the way the, the novel of, is. And The ghost of Christmas past is female mm. child. Yeah, that's true. Uh, she's not a, it's not a female ghost in Dickens. Mm, that's true. And she's great. Mm-hmm. I really like yeah, her. Yeah, I really enjoy it. The Ghost of Christmas. All the ghosts are well done. Very well, well done. done. Yeah. And in terms of uh, race. <laughs> Nothing. As always, the Muppets are... Um, the, the main character Muppets are all acted by white actors and coded white. Mm-hmm. The background character Muppets are, you know have are either animal or have non-human skin color mm-hmm. so that you cannot and it I know I have read from Jim Henson that this is a deliberate choice mm-hmm. that you cannot read them he's deliberately resisting your ability to read them as white yeah uh that's a little ambivalent because uh you know they're if every human character is white and then you see some non-human skin toned people, uh, you are allowing the standard to be white. Yeah. I think. And there are certainly, if there are any actors of color or performers of color, I'm not aware of I it. I did not notice any. No. Yeah. Um, and it falls a bit to, it certainly does fall to like uh, heteronormative, compulsory heterosexuality. Yeah, people are men and women are married to each other. Mm. Um, I don't know that I would want. You can't to... entirely. F- I mean, you can fault Dickens, but you can't like it's it's yeah. Dickens. It's following that, so it could have deviated a bit from the text in that way, and that might have been a good thing. I do like. But, yeah. I mean. This is really more Dickens than uh, the Muppets that I'm talking about. But I do kind of like that um, Dickens doesn't push super hard on the compulsory heterosexuality uh, in that Scrooge's redemption doesn't come with him finding himself a woman. Mm, yes. He loses Belle, but he does not regain her at the end at all. He that regains would have been friends and like... Yeah. And in the movie does not have old... Like it has him giving presents to his old schoolmaster and old Mr. Fozziewig and they like it has callbacks to characters but it doesn't have him reuniting with Belle no uh, that doesn't deserve much credit but it is a horrible bullet that they avoided yeah I absolutely guess. they could have oh that would have been awful if they had done it that really bad if yeah. his reward was getting his woman back yeah exactly um I want I mean any other problematics that you want to talk about we were giving both sex race and gender pretty short shrift not because they're not important but this is just a movie where like yeah it's pretty bad on all those things yeah and i mean it's pretty yeah pretty empty pretty on empty all those on all things. those things it's not actively saying bad things most of the time it's mm. just saying nothing it's just like nothing yeah anything yeah anything else serious you want to discuss in the muppet christmas carol i don't know if this is uh I just want to call out a couple of moments that are really moving mm-hmm. for me personally. And maybe this should have gone earlier. One is, this is a Dickens line. One of the things that makes this the best adaptation is how much of the dialogue is straight out of Dickens. Yes. A lot. 
A lot. More of gravy than of grave. I love that line. It's 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 pure Dickens. Um, The line where, uh, with the first ghost, Scrooge says, What business has brought you here? Your welfare. (laughs) The night's unbroken rest might aid my welfare. Your salvation, then. That is a Dickens line. Mm -hmm. So good. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Because, I mean, I read it with a theological uh, bent of what salvation means. uh, And that's part of why it's moving to me. Mm -hmm. But I really think that even if you don't, it's about his, like, the difference that the ghost points out between, well, his welfare and his salvation. Mm -hmm. Like, she is there for a more profound purpose than he recognizes is possible. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And that connects back to, by the way, the more of gravy than of grave. Like, it connects to Scrooge is a miser because he is uh, myopic in his vision of the purpose of life. Yeah. And so he sees spirits and thinks that he's, it's a bit of undigested beef because he thinks that all there is to the world is the immediate. And he thinks that all there is to the immediate is gathering money because he, he loves his money because he thinks it gives him power. Mm-hmm. And that line really cuts right through that to like, your welfare isn't what you think it is. And she says welfare first. Mm-hmm. And then redefines, not because she's uh, saying, okay, you're right, I'm not here for your welfare, I'm here for your salvation. She's clarifying. When I say your welfare, I mean your salvation. salvation. I mean the welfare of your soul. Yeah. I love that moment. Mm -hmm. I think it's really profound, both in Dickens and in this movie, and it gets me. I also, like, we, we talked at the beginning about... This is famously Dickens being super sentimental and like Tiny Tim is shorthand for maudlin sentimentality. Okay, he's got a crutch and a cough and like good gravy Dickens. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I like was crying like a baby over Tiny Tim. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both you and our daughter were crying. Because although the crutch and the cough and his saintliness is all a bit much... You know, you have a choice, I think, in how you in how you look at life, in how you look at art. Um, and your choice is to roll your eyes and say, Tiny Tim. And your other choice is to, like, allow yourself to be moved by mm. something. And I think it's one of the lessons that Scrooge gets in the movie is he allows himself, he learns how to see people as how to give people the power over him that allows him to be emotionally moved by them. Mm-hmm. And when you watch or read a uh, Christmas Carol, you can snort at uh, the heavy handed maudlin sentimentality of tiny Tim. But then when they're sitting there, it's the Christmas And Bob Cratchit is coming home slower than usual. And like, you know, I can't, I have kids Mm -hmm. and I can think about what it would mean. And just one, a couple scenes earlier, he was coming home with his son on his shoulders and they were singing together and they were harmonizing together and it was beautiful. And now he's not there. And now he's not there. And like, you can allow yourself to be moved by that. Mm -hmm. And if you do, it is moving. Yeah. Like, it's just, grief is griefful. And and for Scrooge specifically in that moment to have his own words thrown back to him. Yeah. That he has, he has like, is Tiny Tim going to be okay? No. But he better die and decrease the surplus, po- surplus population. It's and not suddenly, that moment, but it's the earlier moment. Yeah, it's the earlier yeah. moment. But, uh... To have his line thrown back at him and and for Scrooge to recognize that, oh, there's people. Yeah. There's people behind those words that I was like, well, pff, I don't care if poor people die. Oh, I care if this poor person dies. I care if this son of Bob Cratchit dies. Oh, maybe I should care. Yeah. And that it's, again, what Scrooge's emotional journey is realizing that the people around him are people. Mm-hmm. 
that's really the core of like how how do you bring someone to care about the poor is you get them to realize that they're human beings who have feelings yeah it's about empathy and when you watch uh christmas carol you can choose how empathetic or you you are about tiny tim too mm-hmm. uh so that's my defense of crying about tiny tim <laughs> the moment of tiny tim sitting on uh, Bob Cratchit's shoulders and they're harmonizing together like jolly and joyous with the burst of pleasure we feel a ride it's a season when the saints can employ us Fa-la-la. to spread the news about peace and to keep love alive <laughs> that is all I've ever wanted out of parenthood and none of my kids will ever harmonize with me <laughs> I know, sweetie. I, I know. tried so hard to get them to like that, or like, okay, all you have to do is just sing this part over and over, and then I'll do the all. No, they won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so, they can't. Probably it's yeah. not a reasonable or possible thing to the, expect of a four-year-old. The, the two people who are doing that in the movie are both adults. Just, yeah. Just in real life. It's the greatest disappointment <laughs> that I never caught, taught either of our kids to sing, uh, you know, the, a Bach fugue and I sing the other part. <laughs> you still can't. Our kids are still pretty young. They are. They can still learn. It's kind of heavy to sit on one, one shoulder like that. Oh, though. yes, they are. Well, um, so is it good? Is it seriously good? It's good. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good. It's really good. It's the best. <laughs> I mean, we said, I mean, we've said this already, but just to be really clear, like we talked in Muppets from Space, we asked what's the best Muppets movie, and we both agreed it's this one. It's this one. And the second one is the Muppet movie, or possibly Muppets, the Muppets, the most recent one. But what puts this on the top of the top is exactly the like emotional weight of it Mm -hmm. that it has humor and it has technical ability and everyone's acting well and the the human actor is doing great i don't know that michael Caine as an actor is doing necessarily better than tim curry was in treasure island tim curry is also great in treasure island but you just don't care about anyone in Treasure Island as much as you care about everyone in this mm-hmm. movie. There's Absolutely. so much depth and complexity and emotion to this movie. And it puts it like miles ahead of there's no other Muppet movie with this much emotional depth. Mm-hmm. So it's really good. It is really good. I think, yeah, I think it's both good and seriously good. And it's seriously good. Well, we Covered this, but yeah, the way that it treats the major theme of poverty is what puts it onto the seriously good, mm-hmm. uh, despite some glaring inadequacies in terms of race, gender, and sex. Yeah. There are people out there who don't like the Muppets. Oh. I don't understand you people. Sad and people. I'm sad for you because the Muppets are great. <laughs> Was that your whole point? They represent, they represent all that is good. <laughs> this, I, and when I talk, when I when I say that the Muppets are represent everything good, like this is the movie that I have in my mind because mm-hmm. it's the humor, but it's also the like real pathos yep. is what gets me. Yep. The moment and humor. I mean, like, and humor. Like, so funny. Okay, quick, you're, you're, quick, rapid fire, funniest parts of this movie. You're a, you're a little absent-minded spirit. No, I'm, I'm a large absent-minded spirit. spirit. <laughs> <laughs> like, the bookkeepers would like another bit of pull. Our assets are frozen. <laughs> That's just a good line. Really good. Yeah. Rizzo, throughout. Yeah, Riz- every, everything Rizzo does when he jumps off the top of the gate and then goes and gets his jelly beans through the gate. Cracks me up every time. Like the lamp, not the rat. <laughs> like He uh, uses him to wipe the... Gonzo uses him to wipe the window and he goes, I'm so glad I get to be a part of this. <laughs> like everything Rizzo says is the best. It's so good. Rizzo and Gonzo throughout are A plus stuff. Yep. Like, exactly. It's really good. And then what I noticed this time for the first time is Rizzo says at the beginning, I'm here for the food. And then he's literally eating throughout the entire movie. <laughs> 
like he's always eating something. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah. All right. Miss, tell, don't tell us the, your hand. Tell us the story. Yeah. Like, it's such a, it's great, like... It's a great beginning. It's a classic joke, but they pull it off. Great. Yep. I know it like the back of my hand. Prove it. Okay, there's a freckle around my, There's a scar on my wrist when I fell off the bicycle. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, let's... So uh, this is good and serious to good. Good and serious to good. 19 thumbs up. Um, If you want to talk to us about the Muppets, and not not about... Any other horrible Christmas Carol adaptation? Uh, how can you talk to us, Paul? You can talk to us on Twitter at WTScast. You could talk to us at email by emailing waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com, and we will answer you if you do either of those things. You can find us on Facebook and Reddit and Instagram and everything carrier pigeon whatever that'll be either links in the show notes or else just like google us all those things that we always kind of trail off with by the way if people were actively talking to us there we would get way more involved there the reason that i say uh, facebook i guess is because no one ever talks to us on facebook and we're not really there much but if facebook's your way to interact with the world you can find us there and we'll answer you no one ever has (laughs) If you want to support us uh, directly, patreon.com slash clockworkscast is the place to do that, where you can give us a little bit of money. That We even uh, have a new thing, uh, coffee, ko.fi.com, I think. Anyway, it's on our Twitter. We'll put it in the show notes as well, where you can, if you want to give a one-time donation to us, you can. Uh, give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts if you like this, if you like the Muppets, you know. You want to give us 19 thumbs up. Mm-hmm. That would be great. And if you think that the Jim Carrey version of the Christmas, Christmas Carol is like your favorite, you are never going to convince me, but I'm genuinely interested oh, in yeah, tell us why you would. And tell us about your favorite version of A Christmas Carol. If you like it, if you like the book or don't, or have never read the book, you know, talk to us about it. We yeah. want to hear your thoughts. At this Christmas season, we're gonna as we're as this is airing, we are flying out from where we are to a different place. <laughs> we're flying to see relatives for Christmas, and so we would love to like hide out in the bathroom and be checking our our Twitters and responding to you. And I think our next episode that will air, not the next we'll record, maybe, but I think the next episode that will air after this airs will be a mailbag episode where we'll yeah. read and answer your comments. So, perfect timing to send us a comment. Yeah. We're going to take a little break over the Christmas season, and we'll be back in January, on January 5th, I believe. With Paddington Bear. Paddington Bear. So, uh, thanks for listening. And I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And tonight, you will be visited by three spirits. The ghost of podcast past, the ghost of podcast present, this one, and the ghost of podcast yet to come. Ooh.